Hey, welcome to the Crossing Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from one of our recent meetings, which we trust will bless you. If you're wanting to know more about The Crossing, you can follow us on our social channels or visit thecrossing.org.za. Now lean in and be encouraged by Jesus as you hear his word for you today. You can also drop us a mail at forhim@thecrossing.org.za. The Crossing Church, Christ in us, Christ through us. Hello everybody, such a joy to be with you today and to have the privilege of sharing God's word with you wherever you're listening to this message. And I'm sharing a message that I've entitled Success by Shipwreck and uh, a reference that, that makes you know where I'm going to be speaking from. I'm going to be sharing out of a section of the life of Paul. And in Paul's life, late in his life, around uh, about in AD 61, he made a statement, one of the most quoted statements among Christians, where he said, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And he made the statement looking back over his life. It wasn't just a concept statement, a theological statement that he'd learned somewhere, but he was looking back over his life and he was so sure of this that he could say to others who were walking after God, and he could say to them, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. But about two years before this, the account of the shipwreck in AD 59, Paul's life is confronted with a series of what must have seemed like major setbacks. We're going to cover some of them. But he was arrested, he was falsely tried, he was imprisoned, and eventually he appeals to Caesar. And so from Caesarea he is shipped off to Rome to be on trial in Caesar's court. And so the time of the year was not a good time of the year for sailing, and it was already coming close to the winter months, and the winds were in the wrong direction, seas were dangerous. So they laid him on a boat, and we we gonna follow the account in Acts chapter 27. But in this boat we know the writer of uh, the book of Acts, Luke was on board. We, we read about these we statements in Acts 27 verse 1 where it says we were there. And so we know Luke was on board. Another friend was allowed to travel with him by the name of Aristarchus. We read about him in some of Paul's letters. He was on board the boat. And it's a, a boat that uh, was designed to travel close to the shore. And so they, they traveled up and they traveled up with some difficulty along the coast. They had prisoners on board that were being sent off to Rome to go to prison, probably to be uh, given the death sentence there, possibly to appear in the Roman circus and to die there. They were on board. There were some Roman soldiers, and off they went, sailing up along the coast, heading towards Rome from Caesarea. And uh, we pick it up in verse 8 of Acts 27. And here it says, Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. Now, Fair Havens was a, a town on the south side of the island of Crete. And they'd got there in this boat and they had to make a decision whether they were going to try and sail on or stay there. And at this harbor, we read in verse 9 and 10, it says, And Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion 
paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on, the chance, on the chance somehow that they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. So against Paul's advice, they set off and uh, we pick it up a bit later. So they're sailing along the south coast of Crete in the ship. They say the ship that they were on at this stage must have been about 55 meters long and it was a grain ship carrying grain from Egypt to Rome. And on board we read later on that there were something like 276 passengers in total on board the ship. As they're sailing along they start off with a nice south wind so they think, well, this is a good sign, and off they go, and suddenly the wind changes, and a hurricane hits the boat and starts to blow them further south to a very dangerous section near the coast of Libya. And uh, so they start to throw the cargo overboard. They throw an anchor out to, to try and stop them drifting too far south, and this hurricane just keeps on blowing day after day. We pick it up further on in verse 20 of Acts 27. And it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was last abandoned. See, here we pick up the heart of desperation. Verse 21 said, so they, we have, they had been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So we take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. This amazing thing, God speaks to Paul in this hurricane. And even though he was right that they shouldn't have left fair havens, and against his advice they'd anyway set off the amazing attitude of Paul, where he says to them, but take heart, God has spoken to me. And the wonderful thing that we read here, it says, God said to Paul, I've given all these people on the ship as a gift to you. God was going to spare their life as a gift to Paul. Amazing thing. So they're in this storm. It's raging 14 nights in the hurricane. There were no stars. They couldn't see the sun. They had no idea where they were. They were just being dragged along by the storm. As they're getting dragged along, uh, we pick it up again in verse 30. They gathered that they were heading close to some land. They picked up that the sea was getting shallower. And it says, And as the, the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, what had happened was they have a little lifeboat on the ship. And the sailors, thinking the ship wasn't going to make it, thought, well, we'll save ourselves. We'll secretly get into the lifeboat and we'll head off. And uh, we pick it up what happens there. Paul notices this and he says to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these sailors stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers see this happening, and they go and they cut loose the lifeboat and let it drift away so that the sailors cannot escape. 
As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any one of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. Down to Acts 27 verse 41. But striking the reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and then the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard. And so just imagine this, they being, the ship's being broken by huge waves, and these guys are diving off the front of the ship. Many of them can't swim, so they get planks, that they've got on board there, throw them overboard and jump into the sea, grab a plank. What risk of life for these massive waves, and yet everyone was spared. And it says, and the rest were on planks or on pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to the land. And after, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on, on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Isn't that amazing? People's opinions of us are so fickle. One minute they say you're a murderer, the next they say you're a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entered, entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. They expect it was malaria. So Paul decides to go and visit the sick person and he lays hands on him and he prays for him and he gets well. When they see this, they bring all the sick people of the area and he prays for them and they all get healed. And that's where we're going to stop the story, but uh, it does go on ultimately from Malta they get to Rome. Now Paul had always hoped that he'd get to Rome. It was something that he knew in his heart God had planned for him. But the way he got there was certainly, I'm sure, not the way Paul thought he'd get there. God's ways are unexpected. Sometimes we have an idea of where our life is going. We might think of a nice smooth sailing journey, but the ways of God are unexpected. But what we do see in this passage, I want to focus on today, is that we are called as children of God to live more in the reality of God's purpose for our life than the things that might seem to want to shipwreck those plans in our life. We've got a reality that we call to live in, and that is the reality of God's purposes and plans. 
I want to look at a few things with you today. The first is the decision made by the authority figures to carry on out to sea led to a disaster. But what I need you to look at with me today is the fact that God's purposes cannot be stopped by decisions made by authority figures over our lives. And I think sometimes we can be so overwhelmed with the thought of government is making these decisions. And we're sitting in this COVID-19 episode and authority figures are making decisions. And perhaps you, like Paul, are saying, but no, you're making the wrong decision. Don't you see you're going to cause disaster perhaps on my business or you're going to cause trouble with the decision. Perhaps you're for lockdown or against lockdown or whatever the case might be, but we need to see here how powerfully the purposes of God are not affected by the decisions of authority figures in our lives. What I want to point out, Paul heard God. God said to him, they mustn't set sail. He tried to persuade them. He had a view. You might have a view, and I think it's important to realize as Christians we do have a view of right and wrong. We can have an opinion. We can hear God. We can decide that this is better. But maybe in the end, the decision makers make decisions contrary to what we believe is right. And very much as is in the case in our day, the people that had to make the decision whether they should set sail, they consulted the experts. They consulted the, the owner of the ship. They consulted the captain. And the experts said, we can do this. And this is the way we can do it. And the experts were proved wrong. We can perhaps wonder at their motives. Certainly there was a lot of money for the ship owner. There was a lot of money involved for the ship's captain. If they could get an extra trip in that season, it would help them financially. And so perhaps they were driven by those things. Perhaps by self-confidence. Perhaps thinking, we know the seas. We can handle it. And they made the wrong decision. And they set off. And the hurricane struck. But like so many other characters in Scripture, we find that government and authority figures over our lives cannot stop the purposes of God for His people. We can take Elijah. He, he served as a prophet of God under King Ahab, Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who threw everything to try and stop the work of Elijah. But Elijah fulfilled the purposes of God. We can think of David, who under the kingship of Saul, he was anointed to be king, and yet Saul threw everything at him to kill him. And yet David fulfilled the purposes of God. We can think of someone like Joseph and Mary, who Mary the mother of Jesus. There was evil King Herod who, who threw everything to stop them. But the purposes of God prevailed despite what government and kings and leaders threw at them. The purposes of God prevailed. And maybe at this time you might feeling that government took a wrong decision. And maybe you can see there's a shipwreck on its way, perhaps in your business or whatever. Maybe it's caused so much trouble that you just see disaster. But the reality is God's purpose for your life will prevail. And we need to know which realm am I living in. Am I living in the fact that God's purposes will prevail? Or am I living in the space where I'm thinking, well, they're messing everything up. They're making all the wrong decisions. And also to ask the question, what is our attitude? No, it strikes me how... When Paul later on in the disasters is busy happening, he does say, I told you so, but he doesn't do it with an attitude of, I told you so, now it's all your fault and everything is messed up and this is all going to work out wrong. He says, I told you, you should have listened to me. But he says it in such a way that he says, well, now 
that you know that I was right and I hear from my God, listen to me now. And then he says to them in verse 21 and 22, he says, you should have listened, but now take heart. Now what an attitude is that? Even though they didn't listen to him, now he says to them, but I'm really with you. Take heart. God is with me and he's going to help all of us together. That's the attitude we can have in, in times where we think authority figures may be taking wrong decisions that affect our lives negatively. And it did affect Paul's life negatively. It caused him to end up in this disaster. But yet, he lived in the reality, God's purposes will prevail. The second thing that I'd love to mention to you is that there's a way that believers are to live that is demonstrated through the life of Paul. What the way believers are to live when the storms of life hit us all. I'm talking of all of us in a community, not just Christians, when the storms of life hit us, there's a way God expects us to live. This account of Acts 27 and 28, Luke goes into such phenomenal detail that they view this passage as one of the greatest shipwreck writings of ancient times. The detail that he gives is phenomenal. And the length of it is so much that you notice I had to skip so many scriptures. It would have taken us half an hour just to read the passage possibly. And so commentators say, why, do you, why did Luke take so much time to write this? And one of the commentators just penned these words that struck me. He said, I think it goes like this. The reason Luke did it is that perhaps he wanted to show how important it is for God, the way we live in a crisis. That he penned all these details of how Saul responded. And I want to go through some of Paul's response in the storm. The first thing, I'm amazed at how his testimony in the hurricane was as good as his testimony was in Fairhaven, was as good as his testimony was in the trial before Agrippa, was as good as his testimony was in the prison in Philippi. But we see a consistent demonstration of his testimony of a, as being a Christian coming through in every situation. You might recall how after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, there was a man by the name of Ananias who had to come and pray for, for Paul. And God gave Ananias these words about Paul in Acts 9.15. And he says, Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name. And I want you to think about those words. He is my instrument to carry my name. Now I want to say this is every believer's highest mission in life, is we are God's instrument called to carry His name. These words, an instrument and a name bearer, I want to say how critical it is you see, everyone on that boat was watching Saul throughout that hurricane. And yet his testimony of being a name-bearer of Christ and an instrument of God. And it made me think of this image. If we are God's instrument, let's say it's a wind instrument. Sometimes God will send the wind of a hurricane to blow through his instrument. And Paul sounds louder than ever. No matter how strong the wind blew through God's instrument, he sounded out. The presence, the life, and the reality of his King, Jesus Christ. This is our highest mission in life, and it causes us to ask the question, you know, is am I living as a name bearer? This is my mission. 
I'm a name bearer of Christ. I'm carrying on my life the name of Christ. And people are watching me. The world is watching like the passengers on the boat. They're watching us to see, is this Christianity a reality? What's our witness and our testimony in this pandemic? We are name bearers of Christ, no matter what the situation. In Fairhaven or in the hurricane, we are his instruments. We don't know who we're influencing. You might say, well, I'm not Paul. But you don't know who's watching your life, whose life you're affecting through your witness. So that's the first thing, how we should live in the storm, is our witness. We name bearers of Christ. Secondly, we see that despite the storm, Paul could hear God. He could quiet to his heart, and an angel appeared and spoke to him, but his ears were open to hear God in the storm. It makes me think of Psalm 23, verse 5, a well-known psalm, but there it says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And I just think of that, that no matter what the crisis, whether it be enemies, as in David's case when he wrote the psalm, or whether it be an enemy of a massive storm that's seeking to destroy your, your boat and to, to kill you at sea, whatever the enemy, God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And His table, He prepares for us what we need for the situation. He prepares it in advance, no matter what the crisis. But we need to have ears that are inclined to His voice, that are hearing Him speak like Paul, and so it's very important who we are giving our ears to. So often we read in the scripture, he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. You see, we can lend our ears out to so many voices in this time, so many rumors, so many negative opinions and, and things that are going. But he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And Paul's ears, despite the howling of the wind, could hear the voice of God speaking. As Christians, we are... Part of our sonship and daughtership is that we are to be led by the Spirit. We must guard that our hearts are not led by fear, but are we led by the Spirit? So I want to ask you right now at this moment, what is the predominant voice that your ears are listening to right now in this time? What is the voice that's having the most influence on your view of the future? What is the voice that's having the most influence on your state of mind? What is the main voice that is influencing how you treat others around you? You see, at our very birth into Christianity, we become, the Bible says, sheep, and we have a shepherd. We are a shepherded people. A shepherd who will never abandon us, no matter what comes against us. And that's why we will always have the opportunity to be led by the shepherd, no matter what comes our way. The third thing that I see with, with Paul, in how he lived in the storm, was that he learned to shake things off and keep on mission. And I'm referring to this snake that it says attached himself to his hand. It bit him there. And it attached him, I wouldn't let go. And Saul shook it off. This thing speaks to me, you know, and I, I see with, with, with Paul's life is that over and over he'd learned that trouble and resistance was kind of part of the journey. I mean, he arrived in Europe years back and a, a person with a python spirit came against him. Then he was thrown in prison. And wherever he turns on the mission of God, there were things that would come against him. 
But in this particular case, we need to see that he'd been through a string of bad events. An arrest, imprisonment, sent to sea, shipwrecked. He survives the shipwreck, stumbles onto shore, trying to help make the fire, and a snake bites him. And I think sometimes we can get so caught up in what the devil is doing. Sometimes you find Christians that are so distracted by why is this happening? And, and all these things are coming against me. And why is my life so bad? And all of these things. But we see Paul, the snake bites him. He shakes it off. And sometimes we need to shake off things instead of holding on to them. I sometimes get disturbed when I think of the mission God has given us as his people. And yet when you speak even to Christians, they have got things attached to them from years back where somebody maybe offended them, or somebody offended their family, and they've held it on, and it's still attached to them. Years later, they still let that thing be attached to them, poisoning their system. But Paul shakes it off. He'd been two weeks in the hurricane. He'd been shipwrecked. And now the snake bites him, and yet he just shakes it off. And he carries on, makes the fire, prays for the sick, whatever. So I want to ask you today, are you carrying things that are attached to you? Because very often the plan of the devil is to attach things to us that eventually drag us down and poison our systems. And we hold on to unforgiveness and resentment, even as believers. Paul's life is such a demonstration for us. We cannot let those things hold us back. The fourth thing I want to mention about Paul's, how he lived in the storm is that despite all the challenges he went through, he maintained a deep, deep kindness and love towards those who were around him. This thing has so struck me as I read Paul's journey in the storm. And think about the people that were on board with him, 276 people in total. Among them were these deceitful sailors. They waited until nobody was looking, and they said, let us save ourselves, get into the lifeboat, sail off, and leave the rest to die. There were those on board. Then there were the Roman soldiers that when they thought the prisoners might swim to shore and escape, they said, let's just rather just kill them. Then there was the second in command that, uh, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't listen to Paul's advice and the captain of the ship wouldn't listen to Paul's advice. Then there was the guard watching over, over Paul and then there were a whole lot of prisoners, probably on death row, people whose lives were going to end anyway. Then there were the general passengers. And out of all these 275 people with Paul, we see Paul's concern for them. When the, when the sailors try and get away, God must have shown him. And he, and he goes to the soldiers and says, stop them, else we're all going to die. Let's save everyone's life. So the soldiers go in and they, they sort out that problem. And then he's concerned that the people are hungry. They hadn't eaten for many days. How are they going to swim to shore? And they're so exhausted. So he says, everybody, well, let's wait and eat something. He was concerned for them. At times he says to them, I told you you shouldn't have, have left the boat, but now take heart. He was always caring for them. There was a tenderness and a kindness to him. And uh, I just believe that this is something that shows us true leadership. He cared for the people and he made decisions and he led out of kindness and love and concern. And perhaps it was because... Paul fought back to that day on Damascus Road when the chief of sinners, according to Paul, met the Lord of glory. 
And that reminded him, no matter how far down death row you might be, you're worth being kind for. Because Jesus was kind to me, the chief of sinners. And perhaps if we're not kind to the world, it's perhaps because we don't remember that we also are sinners like they are. And I want to say in these times, I've come across even some Christians that have a kind of a callous attitude to the world. And yet Paul, even though he was on his way to be tried and to be tried by the world, yet he still kept his love for the world. His heart was soft for them. The fifth thing I see in the way Paul lived in the storm was he remained thankful. We find it in Acts 27, 35, where it says, in the midst of the storm, he says to everyone, have something to eat before we, we swim to shore. And it says there he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives thanks to his God. I want you just for a moment to try and climb into the story as it unfolded in that day. He has this hurricane, the waves are breaking the boat. He has this man of God on this boat, and he says to you, like everybody eat, and as everybody's gathered around and they, they found something to eat, and there in the storm, the wind blowing, the boat being shaken by the, by the wind and the waves, he looks to heaven and he says, thank you, God, for your provision. I mean, what an image must have been burnt into the mind of those 275 people as they saw Paul do this. And you see, thanksgiving sets us apart, especially in days like, to, like we're living in. We are called to be a thankful people, and we can be thankful, not because of the trouble, but because of our God, who in the storm is our provider, and he gives thanks. What stories were ignited in that moment as those passengers looked at this? And what stories were they going to pass on down the line of this man that in the storm looked to heaven and said, thank you, God. I mean, they were losing everything. And here he was saying, thank you, God. And we see in the Bible so often thankfulness is associated with the nearness and the presence of God. And as he gave thanks to the Lord, it says the people's hearts were encouraged. I think the presence of the Lord in that moment must have so struck them, gave them the strength to jump overboard. Some of them not even able to swim, just jumping overboard, grab a plank and make it to shore. Not one of them were lost. My last point today this passage says, or teaches us, that God's provision is going to supply abundantly more than what we hope for. I think that's why Paul could say, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. He supplies more than our need. He supplies according to his riches in glory. And I'm just thinking, you know, he was on this boat and he was going to, to trial in Rome. And yet along the way, hurricane, shipwreck, snake bite and all. 275 people have a story to tell of the glory of God. How much more? Is that? To me it was like a, a potential atomic explosion of the gospel. When I think of the people on that boat... Some of them were sailors. Those sailors 
We're going to sail in many ships across the sea from Africa to Europe. That's what their, their, their general route was. And how many times would they be able, as they got on a boat with another sailor, let me tell you of that time of the hurricane when this man of God gave thanks for the food and we were all saved. What about the Roman soldiers? Roman soldiers were sent all across the known world. And they'd be marching around them. And who knows who they'd come across and where. And they'd say, let me tell you what happened one day on a boat. And they would be sharing the story. What about the prisoners? They were going to go into Roman dungeons. Maybe face death row with other prisoners. And then the darkest dungeons. They would say, let me tell you what happened on the way here. Let me think of Paul himself. And Luke writing this account. And the letters that would go out. You know, they say when Paul arrived in Rome and he was thrown in prison there, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He wrote the letter to the Colossians. He wrote the letter to the Philippians. He wrote Timothy and Philemon. And he wrote these letters. Just this abundance of the riches of God's glory just being poured out despite the hurricane. You see, God provides in unusual, unexpected ways, but He provides according to His riches in glory. And you might be saying, but I'm not Paul. But you don't know whose life you're influencing with your testimony, how you're living in this pandemic, how you're living in the storm, how you're hearing from God, how you're being a thankful person, how you're living as a name-bearer of the King of Kings. It's critical for us. This is our mission. All of us, even though we might not have all the details, our mission, we are name bearers of the king. And our lives are shouting because we are instruments of God. And though a hurricane blow, let it be a hurricane blowing through a trumpet that beckons Christ is the God of glory. In closing, I want to ask, whose purpose are you living for? You see, the ship's captain and the ship's owner, they lost everything. They lost the, the cargo, they lost the ship, they lost everything that they were living for. But Paul got more than what he hoped or imagined. And he fulfilled the purposes of God. You see, in which realm are you living? Are you living in the realm of, I'm living for the purposes of God? Or is my life consumed by all the shipwrecks and the troubles and the storms that we're going through? Because if that's where we're living, is that the realm where I'm focused on? Then it's going to seem like life's chaos, life's a disaster. But when we're living for the purposes of God, we can hear God in the storm and we will fulfill His purposes in our life. Maybe some of you, even through this time, have suffered great loss. Maybe even your business is like, like what we're reading here. Maybe your business is in a shipwreck state right now. But I want to say, shipwrecks come, shipwrecks go. When we're living for the purposes of God, we will arrive exactly where we should be. And like Paul, late in his life, as he penned Second Timothy, he said, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have won the prize. You see, God's purpose will prevail. Success through shipwreck. No problem for God. I'd love to pray with you, especially those of you perhaps facing times of great anxiety, pressure, storms facing your life. I'd love to pray with you. And after that, I'd love to pray for any who are not well. 
I'd love to pray with you for that. But before we do that, if you're not a Christian, somebody that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, these storms are real. They're real to Christians and non-Christians alike. But the big difference is that when we have Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, we're living for a different purpose and we're living for eternity. And perhaps hearing this message today, you're saying, but this is what I want with my life. My life's so insecure. The things I'm living for are all being shaken by what's going on. I want to live for something that's secure. If that is the cry of your heart, Jesus Christ has died on the cross for you. And you can call on his name today and ask him to come into your life and to forgive your life of all the sins and the wrong that you've done and to give you his purpose for your life, that you can live for a purpose that will stand. If that is your desire, pray with me right now. And then we're going to pray some other prayers after that. Why don't you pray with me right now? If you would love to give your life to Christ, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are Lord above the storms of life. But today, my life, I realize he's just heading for a shipwreck. And Lord God, I want to give my life to you. Jesus Christ, will you come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior? Will you forgive me of my sins and make me your child? Would you take hold of my life and let it be for your purposes and your plans for me? I want to live for that from this day. I ask you, forgive me all that I've done wrong. Thank you for the cross where you died so that I can be forgiven and have a new life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'd love to pray for those perhaps in a state of real anxiety right now. Pray with me. Lord God, I lift up those who are facing perhaps massive storms, huge stresses and anxieties, Lord God, I pray by the Holy Spirit's presence and power in their life, may you lift their heads to see that no matter what may come, shipwrecks and snakes and all that may come on our path, your purposes for our lives will prevail. May the courage of God fill your heart in Jesus' name. As you today hear this account, may you too be strengthened to know that God's purposes for your life are not affected by decisions of governments. They're not affected by hurricanes and storms in life. But we have an anchor that holds us secure. If you're not well, I'd encourage you just to put your hand on the part of your body where you're experiencing infirmity or pain or, or, or sickness. Let's pray and ask God to heal. Lord, we pray now for healing of everyone listening to this message who's not well. In the name of Jesus, bring healing in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Who we read, carried our infirmities. Lord, will you carry away these sicknesses and bring healing into bodies now? We ask in Jesus' name. And we remember to pray for our government and our leaders. We pray also for our healthcare workers and our essential service providers in this time. Lord, may you bless them and keep them, protect them and help them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen.